bandwidth for November has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-O-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. I'm recording. Andy, are you recording? I said I'm recording first. I know. I just now I'm just uh, egging you on because I can put uh, an intro uh, thing in about you being upset uh, about stuff. Uh, Here we go. Three, two, one. This week, exhaustion, leases, art, Madden, and robot video games is a form of self-expression. Here we go. Boy, oh boy, what a week. Mm-hmm. Week was like whoa. I had a hard time with this week. Mm. Yeah. Dan, did you have a good time this week? Because I know Matt and I did not have a good time with this week. No, I do not enjoy this week at all. You want to just you want to just start over? You want to just hop in? Uh, we can just press reset on this. Yeah. I don't. I don't dislike this week. I just feel overwhelmed this week. And do you different? You enjoy the feeling of being overwhelmed then? No, it's just. So you might say you, you dislike it, it. Here, I'll, I'll explain the difference. Oh, great! Here it comes. Oh, being overwhelmed is nobody's fault. Sometimes you have weeks where it's somebody's fault, and you can be mad at somebody. This is just many different things coming together. Who you get upset about? Who you get upset at? Who you get upset to? It doesn't have to be directed, Matt. Maybe you can just feel sad and upset and overwhelmed inside yourself. And be okay with it. I understand machismo and masculinity and such, and I understand that you have to get angry at a person in order to feel. (laughs) (laughs) All feelings are at a person and nothing else. Yeah. Yep. And their anger or not anger. Yeah. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Today, I'm feeling not angry at you. These are my mm-hmm. emotions. Those are the options. Boy, what a fuck of a week, though. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think, I think we just press reset. Do you think we should uh, finally pull the lever on the machine we've built? I don't know what that means. Are this you going to kill yourself? Just do a little... <laughs> no, this is some improv. <laughs> You're supposed to yes and, not go, I don't know what that means. Are you going to kill yourself? That's not how you do improv. Oh, no, I was going to imply maybe we had invented a time machine and we could talk about other fun things we could have done with the time machine, but now we're not. Now we're just having a very serious conversation where there are no jokes and everybody's talking about things that are only possible in reality. Hope you're happy, Matt. We did, uh, we, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of joking about it, but this was not a good week for, for me. We had, a, we had a rough time at work. You know, I think um, no matter how careful you are, I think it's inevitable that sometimes people are going to be upset at you. This goes for personal relationships, business relationships. So really by what I would say is no fault of our own, we had some people mad at us this week, and that is something that upsets me profoundly. Because, you know, we, I think we've talked a little bit about how not having the removal of somebody else in charge means that you basically have to kind of internalize all of the things that happen <laughs> at your job. Yep, yep. Uh, and when you really care about it, you know, every little tiny thing can uh, really stack up and make you feel real terrible. And that's kind of how the beginning of my week went. And I feel like that can't be a feeling that no one else has experienced before. So yeah, I don't know how to deal with that. Like, you know, we, I think we tried as much as we could to learn a lesson from the beginning of the week. But again, not really a thing that we did wrong per se. But, uh, but yeah, not a, not a good beginning of the week. And then now, uh, we, we just today finally signed our long-term lease for our space, which was uh, kind of crazy, you know? By far the most expensive contract I've ever signed, and it's the direction that's not good. We're paying the money. We're not getting the money, so <laughs> <laughs> all of our previous big okay contracts. feeling okay about it? Did you get everything you wanted out of it? Yeah, it's fine. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it feels weird. It's like, uh, here's, here's, here's why it's weird. It's 10-year lease, which in like the commercial world is not that long. 
uh, yeah. our landlord's like, well, some people sign 25-year leases. I'm like, yeah, well, that's how old I am, so <laughs> not going to be signing that because that would be my entire life again, and I can't possibly plan or predict that far in the future or know what I will want. So even a 10-year lease, it's like I will be nearly 40 when this lease is over, which, woof, that's a grown man. That's an old dude, and that's, uh, that's, that's when this lease is going to end, basically. So uh, well, it makes me think about, like, you know, here's the thing. Everyone always thinks that, you know, business is business, and it's just kind of like this dead, faceless, emotionless world. It's all driven by money, and corporations interact with each other, and blah, blah, blah. But everything's just people at the end of the day. And, you know, signing a lease, which should be just a business deal, makes me think about death and my own mortality <laughs> and the passage of time and how completely... It just keeps going, man. Time just keeps rolling. But uh, that's where I've been my headspace this week, generally. I guess you can always consider that you probably didn't sign it in your own name. So if you ever feel like you need to get out of there, just leave and run away. And they, they can't track down any man gold. What that's are they the, well, do? I mean, so, well, there's a lot of things wrong with what you just said, but I'm going to pretend like <laughs> there wasn't. I'm going to yes and that for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I'm not actually, there's nothing, there's no reason to be worried about it. Everything is going to be fine. It's totally reasonable. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 10 years. And, you know, the crazy thing is, signing the lease, I was like, wow, we've been in business for almost five years. That's half as long as 10 years. That's a long time. It doesn't feel like that. It's just, uh, time just keeps ticking away. So, yeah, I guess we basically had to be like, yeah, I guess if everything goes great, we'll still be doing this in 10 years, which is real weird to think about. I guess there are two options, right? There's you're around in 10 years and you're doing well enough that this continues or it blew up somewhere in between. Then you don't have to worry about your lease because everything blew up. So yeah, exactly. We figured, okay, take well, comfort in that. We're like, if, if we're, if we can't pay the lease, that means that some other things are much worse and <laughs> going way more wrong. So that'll be the least of our problem. Mm-hmm. That'll be the least of our problem. There you go. That's it for on the grid. Thanks for tuning in, everybody going to bed. I, I kind of wanted, so, I mean, we we were talking in the Slack this week. We have a Slack together, everybody. We're friends. And uh, we were talking this week about user stories and wireframes and how you explain what you're going to build before you build it and blah, blah, blah. And that sounds boring. And I want to talk about that. But <laughs> I just realized, what? Why are you laughing? No, 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 just, no that was just I thought great. you were introducing a topic and then you're like, but that sucks. So other oh, stuff. Oh, God, it's so stupid. Just Jesus. Agreed. Do, it, do whatever works and don't do whatever doesn't work. And then if something doesn't work, don't do it again or do it again, but differently. That's, that's, that bad. is, okay. that's the second end on the grid. Yep. All right. Let's, let's start with the third episode. All right. Uh, I'm going to bed for real this time. Oh, man, what a great week. Everything's going so well. Uh, feeling really good. Feeling really good. Uh, everything went great this week. Nothing, nothing, you know, came up as we unexpected. Nothing was weird. So it's just really strong. Feeling good about myself. Good about the business. Uh, how about you two? I guess a good week? Everything is great. I'm not at all tired. Well rested, you would say? You describe yourself as well rested? Yeah. Also, they gave you an option on your lease where you can opt out at any time. You don't have to worry about stuff. Yeah, they said we could pay it in candy. And uh, if we... <laughs> If we got tired of it, we could just stop and go uh, be normal people without a lease anymore. So it's great. Everything's perfect. Cool. And um, and Dan, you got out of work early today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I left at like three thirty. Nobody was upset. Just got to take a casual stroll back home. It was wonderful. 
Yeah, it's so nice he has that short commute too, just you know, a four or five minute walk. That really, yeah, yeah, good. Mm-hmm. So uh, this week, I, I actually want to talk about. There's a lot of topics I feel like we kind of circle around, come back to, touch on a little bit, end up repeating ourselves a little bit over the course of the the arc of the show, which ultimately is fine because you know, go back three years and. We're basically different people, as far as I'm concerned, recording this show. So to cover our topic again is not necessarily to cover. Uh, <laughs> we should go back and interview to cover them. boring ground. We should do getting to the bottom of Andy from three years ago. Oh God, I don't even. I don't want to talk to that guy. He seems bad. Oh, what a jerk! But one topic that I feel like should be in this canon of things that comes up all the time that we kind of keep touching on, but I feel like is not is actually art. I feel like we've basically mm. not talked at all about art on the show, and the only reason I know that. Because I don't really know what either of you think or feel about art, if art is meaningful to you, if that was your path to design, if it wasn't your path to design. I'm curious just to have a conversation about art and uh, is it good, is it bad? What do you think? It's bad. Moving on. (laughs) 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 Woo! Andy, have you ever been moved by a piece of art? Uh, Did you get into this because you were an artist? Well, so, I mean, my, my whole thing was, growing up, I was able to draw a picture of an apple, and it looked like an apple when I was done, and this was remarkable to the adults and care- caregivers around me. <laughs> Therefore, I was encouraged to do it a lot, because, goodness gracious, how amazing is that? And this is what I thought art was. <laughs> I literally, I, I see your parents be like, hey, hey, Andy, hey, do the apple thing again. Well, it yeah. wasn't like, it wasn't so guys, direct. But- guys, come here, look, he, he did his apple thing again. It's still an apple. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't so direct, but the getting positive feedback from uh, people that are caring for you is uh, this thing will make you do something more. So uh, everyone's like, wow, this is so amazing. Look at this apple. It's so realistic. Blah, blah, blah. So I did that a whole bunch. And that's what I thought art was. I will just draw a thing and it will look like a thing in real life. And then that's what good art is. And, you know, I didn't actually care about real art. Like I, I, I called myself an artist growing up. I drew things all the time. I painted. I practiced sculpture. I did all this stuff. But I had no artist. I could I could point out not a single artist that was meaningful to me in any way uh, until like somewhere like late high school, and that was only from the exposure of a uh, particularly influential and great art teacher. Um, somehow, it ended up being just basically about the newsletter I just wrote. But um, but yeah, I, I basically got all the way there without actually liking art at all. I just liked doing this thing that was fun to me and that people kept on saying I was good at, which made me feel good. Uh, that I decided to label as art, but. I, it was not art. It was just, you know, a technical skill, if you'll call it that, of reproducing something that you see with your eyes with a pencil or paint. So art was not meaningful to me. And then I went to art school. Uh, again, I basically applied to art school not even really giving a shit about art and not realizing I didn't give a shit about art. Like, I just, I thought I liked art. Everyone told me I did. So uh, that's why I went to art school. <laughs> oh, my God. And then it was only by actually being exposed to some things at art school that, that yes, art did become very uh, important and meaningful to me uh, in an interesting way. And actually, I feel like when I was in high school, I would be more vocal about liking art, even though I really didn't. Like, I, like what's your favorite artist? I really like MC Escher because, you know, he draws stuff that like, can't exist, man. Like, whoa, crazy. Uh, like, that was probably the extent of my depth of knowledge in art history. And then when I got to art school, I definitely went through a phase where it was like, oh, art is just this kind of uh, luxury of humanity, and it's kind of gross and hedonistic, and we should all be solving problems instead, uh, which is ridiculous. But um, I, I feel like I kind of end up rejecting... I, I always kind of uh, end up pushing back against the 
general grain of the world that I'm in. So when I'm in high school, I was like, yeah, art's cool. All you people that are going to regular college are idiots. Then I was in art school and I was like, art's not that cool. Art is just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sin basically. And uh, we shall be solving problems. So but right about way, art did become meaningful to me. Yes. Uh, and I, I, is it meaningful to either of you? Is, do you think art is cool? Or do you go to an art museum and you walk around and you're like, this is just stupid colors on a canvas, abstract sculpture is bullshit. Like, what is your kind of general approach to art? When I was a kid, I mean, I'm, now, now I'm worried I have my, my path is too similar to yours. I feel like it was an identity when I was a kid more than it was a thing I was genuinely enjoying researching, looking at. I like doing it. I like making it. I like being the artsy kid because that was a way to stand out from other people. Uh-huh. Um, I like telling people that they were stupid for not getting it. That felt really good. Not surprised. It is remarkable how much of, how much of Matt explaining his way in the world just sounds like a bully sometimes. Like, you really just sound like you bullied your way through life in a lot of ways. And yeah. it's funny because, like, you're not a mean guy. Uh, you, you crack a lot of jokes, oftentimes at my expense. Wait a minute, are you a mean guy? He's a lovable asshole. Um, I'm not a mean guy. I think I've learned how to love via teasing. That's my approach to life. No, so you, ha- you said you had a similar path, blah, blah, blah. You're good at drawing, you do it a bunch, art becomes an identity. And then, did you have the same realization where you realized at some point like oh wait i don't even really know what art is and then you got to find out for the first time way too late in life if you actually liked it or not i don't think i had that as much as i had like the once once i felt like i had been doing it for long enough then i felt like i was i was an expert and i could say that things were dumb even though the rest of the world was like in awe of it for some reason that i didn't understand and the very easy things are like uh, when you go to art history class and you learn about Marcel, Marcel Duchamp or like Jackson Pollock or something, you'd be like, I think he's pulling one over on everybody. I was definitely that kid. That was the thing I did a lot. <laughs> Very surprised. <laughs> wait, wait, this guy just took, took a toilet and wrote his name on it. It's not even his name. He's spe- no, no, no. <laughs> what a shitty not, piece of no, art. But, you get no, it? You have to understand how it comes back around, though. It's, it's not the uneducated guy saying that. It's the guy who thinks he's super smart and being like, uh-huh. no, no, no. I'm, I went through that. I've, I've been through that, you guys. I'm better than that now, and I get it, and it's bullshit. Matt, Matt just because you graffitied on urinals doesn't make you Marcel Duchamp. I think he knows that. I know. I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever, like, I didn't have an opinion about anything art-wise. I think my main move, up, up until maybe, like, you know, well into art school, was someone brings up an art thing. You should just nod your head and pretend like you get it because you're supposed to get it because you're the art kid, but actually mm-hmm. you don't know any of these things at all. So there was no opportunity to be like, you don't understand. I, I did not know who Mar- Marcel Duchamp was until well into college. Uh, okay. I, I, it was not a thing that I was aware of. I, someone probably tried to teach me. I was just probably not paying attention because I, I didn't do that in school. So um, yeah, and then I, I really did have a moment where I was like, oh, this is what art is. Do I like this? And then I do kind of want to unpack. Did you both also have a phase of kind of looking at the art world and deciding that it was ridiculous and preposterous and we should all instead be doing real things with our lives and that's how you ended up as a graphic designer? I feel like that was kind of oh, yeah. one yeah. of oh, the... Totally. Great. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm glad that's we're pretty on the much same how page. This, this, that's how this podcast started. It would be silly if we said differently, right? Is it, it started because we... Wanted to solve problems. I think we pretty much are the because I think we're pretty much those people. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess. 
Well, I mean, right. I feel like well, I'm at least not that we per- were. I well, mean. yeah, that's the thing is I I definitely went through a phase where that was my my main deal, and I was like, look at these people that are making their gold balloon animals and uh, you know stupid action paintings, all bullshit. Um, but I don't feel like that way at all now. Um, I do think that in art school, for example, when you're looking at your peers' work, it's very easy, at least at a place like Micah, to just kind of bullshit your way through a degree, um, which doesn't sound like it speaks very highly of the institution. Uh, but I think it's just the nature of art is a very hard thing, of course, to quantify and to measure. So the idea that you could ever get like a verification or some certification in art is, is kind of an interesting one. But there were a lot of my peers that were making bullshit art. And I think it's probably still true to this day. A lot of young people that think they're deep and profound and think they understand art and think they understand how to make a statement try to do things that are, you know, weird and, and bullshitty. Um, but at some point I came to appreciate art. I think I appreciated it more actually after I graduated and no longer was I, again, you know, I, you could basically, if Matt was the archetypal bully his entire life, um, you could say that I was kind of the devil's advocate or hipster my entire life. So in art school, I was like, art is this ridiculous, preposterous thing. There's not even a decent definition for it. Like, it's just this weird, vague idea that has no real impact or meaning in the world. And then getting into the business world, specifically from the perspective of design and seeing how much design, which I always kind of considered like the practical side of art, um, was actually maybe just the uh, slightly colorful side of business and and not really the <laughs> practical side of art at all. Um, that kind of made me realize that all of the things that I loved about creativity, I probably should have to, to give a little more credit to the art world for and a little less credit to the idea of design. I think that there, you know, obviously we can, in a, on a lot of spectrums, on a lot of scales, design is somewhere in the middle between the the world at large and art. Uh, you know, you yeah. have the spectrum of, uh, you know, economics, right? Uh, getting lots of regular jobs would pay a lot better for the kind of tuition you pay at a design school. Um, yeah. Getting a job in art is barely even a thing. It pays nothing. Design is somewhere in between. You pay a lot to go to school, a little bit artistic. Yeah. You get to make a little bit of money. Uh, it's just kind of this way that it kind of fits in between. And I think that because it sits in the middle of these spectrums, it oftentimes seems like it is a form of art. And I'm not convinced it is at all. I think design is a form of business. It's a way of of doing business and a way of moving money around and a way of projecting things in that kind of world. And sure, it happens to involve colors and shapes, but fundamentally, it's not at all what art is about. I think it depends on the person you're talking to. I think there are designers that are absolutely creating art and having to be selling it and well, but then, then they're but then how are they a designer just because they're using a computer or because they're using typography like why is that design and not just art i don't want to get too deep in the definitions but i think like there is a subjective level right there's this level where you can say i don't i don't know if that i like this but i was just thinking that the definition is just that you're selling it to a business and it's customized for them well that's the thing is i think that yeah. in the design world i think we need to define ourselves by our relationship to either our clients or our customers. Um, I think it's, yeah, we define, it, we, we define it by our industry. We don't define it by the output necessarily. Well, yeah, it's like, I mean, to say that something is designed, uh, it's designed with an end in mind, right? It's designed for a particular customer. It's designed mm-hmm. to solve some problem, which is then going to be bought by customers. It's designed to 
uh, satisfy your client's needs, whoever your client might be. This is a, I think, is sort of back and forth is maybe the one of the only kind of fundamental aspects of design across different, you know, sort of subfields. Um, but that seems like the thing that's really important is that relationship, and and the art side of things. Um, not to put like too fine a point on it, but I think art is often about sort of not having a that sort of relationship or that relationship being instead of with one customer or one sort of group of customers or one demographic or one client, that relationship is supposed to be with the world at large. It's just like you are not responding to a particular need in a particular industry. You are responding to everything that affects you and you see going on in culture and or you're responding to something inside of yourself, which unless you're a total hermit, is also going to be those things that we see in our culture. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're making something with that. And I think the really great thing that comes with art is uh, the ability to make things in a way where expectations are much less. Um, and of course, that trade-off, the idea of art of just going and making something because it's valuable to just make something in and of itself and for no other reason, that doesn't work in capitalism, right? Uh, like we have a system that basically if you reach a certain degree of celebrity, then you can afford to be an artist. Um, and if you don't reach that degree of celebrity, then you need to be in some service industry like design, which is probably one of the closest uh, service industries to the actual art world. But in our industry, there is none of that, right? There, there, is, there is none of just making something for the sake of making something. Uh, e- even if you look at like what designers do for their side projects, it's all just little fake or real businesses right like the designer makes a side project it's like <laughs> let me cobble together some uh some series of posters i can then sell or at least put on my website in a way that looks like they could be sold like they're meant to, they're meant to sell um the, the language we have as designers is not a language of like free self-expression it's a language of of business and advertising and of kind of um some other things are involved there and i, I don't mean that to be an insult like I, it's not like art is pure and design is compromised it's just that the the fundamental driving forces are different in a way that I don't think you can say that design is necessarily necessarily even a sibling to art. It's just kind of a different thing. And I think it seems similar because some of the tools overlap and uh, some of the skills overlap a little bit too. But Well, okay. Uh, here's a question though. Like, is it, does that still hold um, firm, even if you have an example, like if somebody were commissioned, like an artist were commissioned to do a mural in a public space? Is that- well, so as soon as you get into commissions, then it's just that your art has become a certain desirable thing such that you can now sell it like any other business. Oh. Uh, and at that point, uh, if you're being commissioned to do something, then you're in that relationship. And I would say that you are not making art in the same way. Uh, it's not that it's not art, but you, you can't go from zero to that, uh, right? Like you need to make something all on your own kind of separately. And then if you decide to package and sell it, great. But that is kind of unrelated to your art making. And I don't think anyone's going to, through a series of commissions, explore new and interesting ideas and and tread new territory because you're being commissioned to do something that is expected. Uh, Very few people get to the point where they are uh, renowned enough or trusted enough or famous enough that someone will say like, I want to give you this money. You do whatever you want with it. I have no... I don't, I'm not going to come in and say that I really like this other sculpture you made and I want something similar to that. I'm not going to uh, sort of express any desire to call back your previous work. I just want you to actually be free. I don't think many people get there. I think most people get to the point where they are able to make a succinct and consistent enough art product that they can then sell it. And then you're just a business, which again, not bad. Like I think a lot of people in the art world really 
uh, reject the ideas of the business world and vice versa. A lot of people in the business world reject the ideas of the art world, but it's really just that business has happened to, to slot into all of the systems that exist in this country in a way that works better than the way that art happens to slot into all the systems we have that exist in this country. At least the ways we measure success and the ways we kind of look at something and say that it's working or not working. Um, so that's the only real difference. It's just one fits more with the structure of society and government than the other one does. But, yeah. but Jesus, like art history is, is world history. Like that is the history of, of everything. Um, you know, basically you take art, uh, it, it has so much more, it, it tells every story that regular history tells in a way that is much more human. Um, and I guess for me, sometimes when I think about what I really perceive the actual value of art being, uh, people told me this in, in my art history classes when I was in school, but it never really sunk in, which was that art is really meant to be like a reflection of like a culture, a moment, a people, a time uh, in a way that you just can't do otherwise. You can't take enough photographs. You can't write enough uh, sort of documents. You can't record enough uh, first-person accounts to really get the sense of something the same way that art can give you that sense at scale. It's not like any one artist is going to totally capture something, but that sort of activity of sort of constantly recording, um, not with an eye to history, but recording in terms of like taking time for you as a human to create something that you feel driven and compelled and inspired and um, sort of pushed to create given your sort of circumstances, which are unavoidable. That is a valuable act in and of itself. It does not matter if anyone likes it. It does not matter if anyone sees it for any amount of time. It just that act is valuable for you and that is valuable for, for society. You know what I enjoy after a long week, Matt? What I really enjoy is sitting down and just, uh, you know, vegging out, watching some videos, you know, getting on Netflix, something, watch, watch a video or two. Uh, do you enjoy that? Is that a thing you enjoy? Sure. I like watching all kinds of stuff. I like watching damn comedy videos. Uh, I like watching yeah. movies. You're watching those things, but they're just sapping your soul. You're not getting better as a person. You're not getting new skills. You're not learning new things. You're just, uh, you're just sitting there. So you're saying we should be watching something that's the opposite of that. You should be watching something that's the opposite of that. This episode of On The Grid is brought to you, to your ears, by lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com, C-O-M. The online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help strengthen your business, technology, creative skills. For a 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash O-T-G. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash O-T-G. And they're going to be entertaining, too. It's not going to be just of learning it's going to be the kind of videos that you learn and also you live a little it's for you curious people who make things happen maybe you want to master excel learn negotiation tactics build a website boost your photoshop skills you go to lynda.com maybe you want to learn about how to uh, do sketching as a form of self-expression in the class introduction to sketching as creative self-expression that sounds very relevant andy in an activity that is purely human creative self-expression with a lynda.com membership you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about their teachings stream thousands of videos on demand and learn your own schedule these courses are structured so you can watch them from start to finish or consume them in bite-sized pieces you can browse each course transcript and follow along or search for answers and skip to that point you can take notes 
can download tutorials and watch them on the go on your Android or iOS device. You can create, save playlists, share them with friends, colleagues, team members, or podcast hosts. Share them with us, the hosts of your favorite podcast. We also need to learn new skills. Your Linda.com membership will give you unlimited access to trainings on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com slash OTG and sign up for your free 10-day trial. I had an experience yesterday, Matt, which maybe our listeners can empathize with, which is that I Googled something, uh, something I needed some help with, found a YouTube video, clicked on it. I made the mistake. I didn't go to lynda.com. I went just to the YouTube, to the unfiltered garbage filth tube that just sprays trash into the internet that we all just soak up and uh, clicked on the clicked on the result. The, the, the title of the video seemed like it'd be exactly what I wanted, and the video starts... And it's just some little kid screaming into his built-in mic on his computer about some software thing. And he was wrong. The thing he said I was supposed to do wasn't even right. So you know what? Get on lynda.com where this stuff is vetted. <laughs> not going to be some kid <laughs> screaming into the built-in mic of their laptop. But how are you supposed to open this particular menu? And that menu is not even there in your version of the software because it's the wrong version of GarageBand. That won't happen on lynda.com. Lynda.com. No children screaming into built-in microphones such that they clip. No, I do have a question, like, because it's it's an easy question for me to ask, and I don't know if it's just me being um, uh, ignorant or irrational or something like that. But when I think about it, if somebody, this goes back to the reference about like um, um, like commercial art or like somebody who's commissioned to do something like a, a mural, um, it feels weird to me that we could say like, oh, this person is this person is an artist. And then, then they can be commissioned to do uh, artwork as an artist in a public space or something like that. Uh, so they get paid for it, and it's very much in the, the business world. But then it, there's a designer that could do signage, like public signage for the same building. And they're a designer, and they're designing something, and it's for business. Um, isn't it, is it not irrational to... Uh, be able to say that like the artist that was commissioned to do the artwork is technically doing design work then because it's for a purpose, it's for a function, it's for something that is supposed to be displayed with as something that's like part of a greater whole of like the building or something like that. Or is that just like that's still art and it's just a really fuzzy definition? Well, I think in that exact situation, if you are an artist being commissioned to do some sculpture for the courtyard of a building, the design has been done already. Uh, the design decision was, you know what this courtyard needs? It really needs an Olafur Eliasson. Uh, this courtyard needs a Richard Serra. Uh, that was the decision that was made where sort of the, the aesthetic, the values, the whatever sort of a, a body of work represents was, was intended to be put in this place to send a message to somebody. Um, and so once you're the artist and you're commissioned to do it, you just do what you do and you assume that whoever, you know, just hired you to do that and actually wanted what they're getting, what they're paying for. And if, if they got what they wanted, then, you know, everything works out. Um, I, I do think that the, the big difference I, I do want to kind of keep coming back to here is that I think as a designer, this relationship we have, maybe explaining it as like with your clients or with your customers is the wrong, is the wrong way to think about it. I think designers across all different fields are often asked to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Like I just arrived at the front of this building. Uh, what information do I need available to me? How, 
where would I be most likely to see it? How would, could this sign be sort of designed and what information should go on it to sort of direct somebody somewhere? Or, you know, if you're designing a, a big web app or something, it's like, okay, well, here's my, my ideal customer. It's somebody that needs to sell this kind of thing online or uh, find apartment listings. And so much of our process is putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes to try and figure something out uh, for them or on their behalf. Um, and I don't know if that... I'm not an... I, I would not anymore... I would not call myself an artist now. I, I don't know what great artists think about this question. It's probably all over the board, extremely subjective. Everyone has their own opinion. But it seems to me like that back and forth is not what's important to art. Like, I don't think Olafur Eliasson was like, let me try and imagine what I would want to see uh, or what this other person would want to see uh, in, in a big field in Michigan somewhere. Uh, like, I, I don't know how you can kind of translate the the work and the sort of product to a perspective like that. It seems like it's more this thing, this idea needs to exist needs to be communicated in some way and we're going to work to do it and the way that it impacts the rest of the world is kind of fundamentally by design open to interpretation like like you may want to make art about a horrible tragedy and express some of the sadness or express some of the the horror of something you may want to make art about you know uh, the the birth of a child and how beautiful and great that is and and you can you know in to a certain degree think about all right how could i communicate ideas of beauty and the sort of feelings that I have about something through art. But ultimately, I think making art, a big part of that is basically kind of checking out of uh, how people interpret it. Like you make it and then what it becomes is what the people that look at it want it to become. And we can say very clearly as a designer, like, oh, if you try to make a sign and tell people where the bathroom was and that no one found the bathroom, then you, you done fucked up. But I think as an artist, if it's like if you if you tried to make it a piece of art about the Holocaust and about how terrible it was, and you were trying to evoke a certain type of feeling, and uh, instead in somebody you happen to evoke, um, you know, feelings of of kind of the distance of history. Uh, maybe you were not trying to do it. Maybe you were trying to make someone feel like this was very intimate and close to them. And instead, you you kind of con- you kind of convince some young person this is actually very far away, and it feels even further than it was. I don't think that's necessarily a failure of your art. I think it's just something that was perceived differently. And I think in some ways, design is always reaching for this universality. It's like, we need the one way that everyone's going to know this is the men's room. We need the one way that we can kind of solve this problem that's going to work no matter what, because that's our goal, to make this thing work, whatever it is. And I, I feel like the best art embraces the fact that that universality is kind of a lie. And the best you can do is make something that embodies the idea or the spirit of what you want to put out there and then accept that people are going to take that in whatever direction they want. Um, and this is the same kind of argument that I would have used to describe how art was fickle, impossible bullshit when I was a student because it's like, well, how can you even know if you did a good job? Because you can't even measure it. Like you said you wanted to make something that was emotionally impactful and then you, people have different thoughts about it, and then you must have failed. But if you're saying that it's open to interpretation, then what are you even doing? How can you measure success? How can you improve? And now I feel like that's actually why it, maybe it's valuable. I don't, I don't mean to rant. It's just, it's just the thing that I'm thinking about. 
as I think about art and why it's maybe valuable. And I think one of the reasons it's valuable is because design, I feel like design did not live up to my hopes and dreams for what it could be when I was younger. What did you think it was going to be? You thought it was going to be solving all the problems? Well, you know, I think there is a self-expression, obviously, in a lot of art. There's a lot of kind of taking something inside of you and putting it outside of you and sharing it with people. And I think my hope, what I believed the promise of design to be, was a way to do that that was more measurable, that was easier to improve at, that was something where you could put the work in and know that you had actually succeeded. Like, there's, a, there's an idea I want to communicate now. I've done the work. I've got the degree. I've learned all the things. Now I should be able to just communicate it, and it should just work, and I should be able to just slowly, brick by brick, take apart this barrier between the things in my brain that I would love to share with the world and the world itself. And, and these design was supposed to be a tool to help me get through that wall faster and more efficiently. And that is not what I feel like it, it is now to me. Now what I feel like it, it is is this attempt. I mean, I, I, I am kind of preoccupied at the moment with how much I think design is more about business and money than most designers are willing to recognize. But separate from that, I also think that this attempt at universality, which is so fundamental, it seems, in design, like in some ways the defining feature is like there is a right answer here where there was not in art. Like in art, you could do whatever you want. No one could say it was bad, blah, blah, blah. In design, no, this typeface is more readable than this typeface. This is a truth. This is some shred of objectivism that we can cling to and slowly build on and we'll have, we'll have some answers. We'll, we'll have figured it out. And somehow what gets wrapped up in that is a total ignorance of context, of perspective, of kind of different cultural values and different people and this attempt at making everything that we do not just objective but universal. Like this has to be the one answer that works for everything. Which I think is partially a matter of values. Like I think design wants to be that thing because it's kind of the promise of modernism that there'll just be a chair that works and is perfect and everyone will love it and everyone will be sitting and be comfortable. Uh, and we're just all working to try and figure out what that chair is. In some ways that feels like the promise of that. And also it, it, it fits perfectly in with industrialization and with, uh, and in some ways, even the internet is just like the, the greatest extent of industrialization and in that, you know, now instead of having a whole factory to spit out, almost exact replicas of some mass-produced product, we actually can literally give the exact same file, the exact same something to somebody else online. There's this immediate um, value on consistency because replication is so easy. If we're going to make another chair, unlike pre-industry, it's much easier for us to make a chair that already exists again instead of make a whole brand new chair. Um, Same goes with the internet and with anything, right? Like anything on the web, it's easier just to take one that already exists, copy it, and that's the new one, poof. Um, So this idea that there should be objective and universal solutions to problems is partially tied to the ideology and partially tied to the production and the delivery mechanism. Like we live in a world where replication is very easy, so coming up with an idea that is very nearly universal or is very successful, it's very easy for it to spread immediately to far reaches of the planet. Uh, And this attempt, 
I feel like has stifled actual human expression. Uh, I don't think in a world where you're expected to make something that works somewhat universally or make something that works um, regardless of different contexts, I don't think you can express the same complexity and beauty of ideas as you could express in art where that pressure, that sense of making something that works, for lack of a better word, is just not there. Like I, th- that, that pressure doesn't exist, so you're free to actually explore complex and even sometimes contradictory ideas simultaneously. But that's just a more honest representation of what the world is. Like no- nothing is cut and dry. Nothing is as simple as modernism wants us to think it is. Do you care about self-expression more or less than you did when you thought you might be creating art? Oh, I care about self-expression more than almost anything. Yeah. I, I don't... Because I, I, think, I think design for me was a way... There's a period of time where I thought self-expression was not at all important to me. I had, <laughs> I had attempted that. I don't have a unique voice. And design is a nice way to make things with a purpose, right? And I mean, you said the same thing earlier, making things, making things that do, that do a thing that solve a problem and they don't necessarily just reflect your feelings about anything. Um, and, but to be honest, I don't know where I land right now. I don't know if, I don't know if I actually, I don't think I feel like any of the work I'm doing is a form of self-expression. I definitely land more on the side of, I, I'm very much trying to solve some sort of problem. I think, or I think I am. Um, but now I'm thinking, what, what am I, how important is self-expression to me? What are my forms of doing that? Obviously, this right now is one of them. But how much does that matter? And how much does it, uh, it's, it's, it's this weird thing of like, it matters as a collective. Self-expression matters when it's a huge group of people doing it over a period of time. So we have some sort of document of what was happening. But on an individual le- level, it's hard to justify it. It's hard to feel good about it. It's hard to feel like it matters. What like why do you care about it right now, Andy? More than before? I don't know if it's more than before. I feel like for my entire life, the desire for self-expression has been one of the only absolute constants. I, I can remember no time where that wasn't one of the main things I wanted to do. Even yeah. every every other thing I do in life, I try and make as much as possible about self-expression. Every hobby I have, every every game I play, everything is ultimately just about some way of trying to take a little piece of me and, and put it out there or to make something that represents my values or, or sort of perspective. And I, I, maybe, it's, maybe it's extreme arrogance, right? Maybe it's just thinking that all of my thoughts and ideas and perspectives are interesting and valuable. Um, more than that, I feel like to not do that seems to me like not even living a life. Like to not constantly be trying to interact with the world and learn as much as you can from it and put as much as you can into it. It's so fundamentally against like all of my like intuition and all of my sort of natural like natural instincts. Mm-hmm. That it's hard for me to even grasp why it doesn't make sense, but it just feels like you're not even alive. Like if you're you're just gonna, you know, go through life and just kind of you know, sit there quietly and, you know, be a sponge and soak things up, but not ever push anything back out. Uh, and when you push those things back out, that's when you actually get the most interesting things to then reabsorb. Like, I don't, I, I feel like that's maybe why, but you know, 
we, we've talked about how we both you know grew up playing video games and i i too have played a bunch of seasons of madden uh but madden to me it sounds like a few in a lot of ways it was about like kind of breaking the game and making the perfect football team like everybody was just amazing and 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 great and you got that one person who was a zero rated kicker to a 99 rated qb in one season um and for me it was about somehow building a, a team that reflected the things that i thought were interesting about football like it was self-expression to build a madden team because of the way that i arranged the players and the way that i designed the jerseys and the way that i did every little tiny thing um and that's no surprise i'm sure now that we have this podcast and we literally just this is an hour of us blasting our self-expression at you um and we say hour but we all know i do most of the talking on here so uh you know there's it's not a surprise this is probably a value of mine but um i don't know i feel like that's what it is it's just i can't imagine living life any other way well now that i think about it oh man we can have the madden talk all day no, think about it. <laughs> roster building is roster building is a, is this very sincere form of self expression where yeah I can both prove a skill which is a you know a silly useless skill that nobody gets to see and also um, construct a team of players that somehow reflect the values of what I think a good football team is which is yeah. sounds very funny to say but I actually think. I think maybe a little less of what you just said earlier. I get a lot of, I get a huge kick out of being able to build something out of nothing, but you know, also, also the first thing. As I've gotten older, I've become more self-conscious of this because, you know, as an ignorant kid, the idea that everyone wouldn't want to know my thoughts all the time never crossed my mind. I was just like, (laughs) that was the only way I knew how to be. So that's just how I was. And, you know, now I'm much more conscious of the fact that the comfort that I had as a kid and still have to this day, just giving my opinion and just responding to things and starting conversations with strangers and all of those sort of uh, luxuries are things that a lot of people don't have. Uh, and even mm-hmm. if they had the same sort of intuition that I have about kind of constantly, constantly getting and giving feedback about the world, uh, they would not be able to. Uh, the world would not be a safe place for them to do that. So, you know, in, in some ways I've been trying to do less of it just out of kind of um i don't know what it is out of like uh humility a little bit out of humility but i guess more out of like a a recognition like that uh not everyone can do this so maybe i shouldn't just do it all the time maybe i should spend more time you know trying to hear people that are not like me that are not just constantly broadcasting Mm -hmm. um and you can you can actually kind of look back if you you were to graph my tweets over time, this would be a really great way to sort of figure out what peaks and valleys I was going through in terms of how comfortable I felt being my outward self in public. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it seems like the most important thing, or I shouldn't say the most important thing. It's one of the things that I feel is completely like, unchangeable about me. And I'm always, I'm always hesitant to say that because I'm a firm believer in being able to just change yourself in a myriad of ways but the idea that i could somehow not care about self-expression so foreign to me even think about robot video games too i played a lot of games uh where you build big robots and to me because the thing was with all these games and you know it you could always just there was one particular weapon 
or one particular way that you could just beat the game all the time, right? Like you got to a certain point where beating it was not a challenge. Um, and frankly, I'm a competitive person, but I'm not sure how much I really enjoyed trying to beat something. I think mostly it was a point of frustration if I couldn't and not as much a point of joy if I could. But once I got to that point, my, my excitement was never about like beating the game. Uh, it was always about like, how can I make a robot that is the coolest robot and <laughs> has the most interesting array of weapons and can do the most interesting things, whether or not that happens to make it particularly strong in this game. Uh, but, but yeah, like uh, that's why I spent hours doing hours shuffling through parts in various like mech robot games, trying to like come up with great combinations of them. Uh, and that is still like, I can do that forever <laughs> and never get tired <laughs> of it. Like it, it's, it's like my, one of my greatest instincts, like we're, we're doing some renovations to the office as I've mentioned many, many times and you know, I have work to do. We're busy right now and I can still walk away from my computer and just go start walking around the office and imagine different carpets like this and what if a wall came out here and I could do that for eight hours a day for five days a week and never get tired of it. Just walk around the office, drawing little pictures, making little sketches, uh, trying to figure out how everything should kind of be and just constantly, you know, very minorly adjusting my environment. I could do that in my house for 24 hours a day and never get tired of it because uh, that to me is like this weird low-level form of self-expression like i decided this chair should go exactly here and this thing should go here and blah 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 blah, blah. and it's just i could do that forever oh it's so good and that's what design feels like when you first start you're like oh i'm just picking on all these fonts i'm just going through here and doing all these things and there's some there's some similar feelings in there but i don't know um, I'm, I'm not like disillusioned about design I, I still love it obviously but at some point i think i realized that what I really hope design would be is just not what it is. My happy ending is a tape measure. I have spent, yeah, it is a tape measure. I, you know, I've, I've done some construction work, uh, throughout my life and one thing i always marveled at was how every tape measure seemed bad and wrong in a number of ways uh, there was mm -hmm. always like you know little details like for example if you have a tape measure and you can't set it down on its bottom and have it stand up like it tips over uh that it can the, the idea that someone will put a tape measure in the world it doesn't stand on its bottom is insane to me uh that's like job one of a tape measure um, the other thing about tape measures is that the style of tape measure that somehow became like the default tape measure is really just like a particular style of tape measure. It's meant for contractors. So, you know, you know, picturing like the yellow one where the, the mm -hmm. blade is uh, slightly curved. So it, so it maintains sort of a straight line until it gets to a certain length and then it like makes that snapping noise and it breaks uh, and you yeah, kind of sure. have to pull it back in. And, you know, that allows you to actually kind of like, you know, push it out a little bit uh, and measure something across the room without having to walk across the room and hold it there because you can kind of hold it in, in sort of space. Um, that is a great tape measure if you are, uh, you know, rough measuring uh, a big space or if you're kind of going around and making kind of little measurements of all these different things and you kind of need a very like weird all around tape measure. But it's really bad at the things that I think most people use tape measures for, which is, for example, measuring a length of something and marking it off. And you have that sort of rounded uh, U-shaped blade the actual part that has the numbers on it is not touching the material. You have to kind of bend it over to get it to touch the material. 
Um, and you very rarely use, most people honestly, very rarely use the fact that it actually can hold its own shape. And then you can only measure things that are flat. Uh, you can't measure anything that has any sort of curve or, or sort of uh, bend to it. Uh, so it was, I always just found it to be a flawed tape measure. And I was like, why didn't somebody just make a better one? And then I discovered, thanks to Tom Bonamici, thank you, Tom, uh, that there is a company that makes good tape measures. The company is called FastCap. They make a number of things. Tape measures are among them. And the specific FastCap tape measure I, I want to wholeheartedly recommend to anybody that ever uses a tape measure. And Matt, you said you have a tape measure in your backpack, right? I do at all times. Well, we're going to replace that thing. Let me tell you. The, uh, the, the FastCap tape measure I want to recommend is the one they call their Story Pole model. Um, a Story Pole is a traditional uh, woodworking tool, which is basically if you were doing some sort of woodworking uh, and you were lots of uh, very high-level crafts, uh, especially in woodworking and other sorts of things, don't ever use measurements because measuring is ultimately pretty inaccurate. Like if you're going to say, we're going to make 100 of these things and they're all going to be exactly 8 inches long, um, having them have to be exactly 8 inches is one requirement and having them all having to match each other in their size is a second requirement. Uh, and if the first one is a little bit off from 8 inches, do you correct on the second one or do you make it match the first one? And if you're sort of using this number as a translation between two things, like I'm going to measure the space, it says 8 inches, then I'm going to measure the piece and make it also be 8 inches. Um, that number in between is this opportunity for something to go wrong. Another place for you to mess up and you know be off by a 16th of an inch or something. Um, so a story pole is uh, you know traditionally a pole or also uh, a string or sort of a piece of sort of blank tape where if you were going to make a consistent sort of piece over and over again, you would just mark on a pole where it should be cut, where the hole should go. It's kind of a really rudimentary template. Uh, you know, if you were going to make uh, a vertical post for the corner of a house or something, you would mark, oh, this is where the, the header is going to go. This is where the footer is going to go. This is where the sort of supporting beam in the middle is going to go. And you would just take that stick around to every single piece you had, and you would just match the marks on every single one of them. And who knows how long it was, if it was however many inches it was, isn't important. All that matters is that they're all the same. Um, so. The story pole tape measure from FastCap is a traditional tape measure. You can get it in empirical units. You can get it in metric units. Um, but in addition to that, it has uh, the so it's it's a tape measure. It's flat instead of a curved blade. So the blade is totally flat, which means that you can't like push it out and have it hold itself up vertically. It just kind of flops over. Um, so it's you know something you have to move around and hold on the thing you're measuring. But it allows you to wrap the tape measure around something round, which is great. Uh, and allows you to sort of more accurately get measurements because the blade sits flat on the surface you're measuring on. And the best, the killer feature, the killer feature of this app is that one side of a tape measure is reserved. Uh, it's just a blank space, uh, and the, the blade itself is textured in a way that it holds a pencil mark. So you can take this tape measure, you can unfurl it on something, make a mark on it. Uh, again, regardless of what that number happens to be, who cares how many inches, how many centimeters is, you know that the piece you need needs to be this big, measure it out, mark it on the tape measure, and then take that tape measure over to wherever you're cutting, and you have that exact mark to work with instead of having to try and remember some number of 16 to 30 seconds of an inch. Um, in addition to that, it's just a really well-made tape measure. Got a little pencil sharpener built right in, which is great. You can even write on the, uh, the sort of face of the tape measure itself. It's uh, got a surface that's much like the blade. It's a piece of plastic that you can write on. It holds pencil, and you can erase off of it. So you can, if you do want to use a measurement, you can write down some numbers really quickly. Uh, it's just, it's a joy because every time I go to use it, I'm like 
someone got tape measures right. Finally. This is great. So everyone, fast cap, story poll, tape measure. This has been On The Grid, episode 140. This week, I want you to go to our subreddit, onthegrid.reddit.com. You can post links you think we might want to talk about in future shows or discuss this episode or any previous episodes, onthegrid.reddit.com. Thanks to Dan for the interlude music, Glassboy for the ad music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. Sometimes, Matt, here's a fun thing. Sometimes I yeah. feel like uh, you approach the podcast kind of like, uh, I don't know, somewhere between like a, perf- I mean, it's certainly this is a performance of a certain kind, but yes. uh, I feel like you approach it somewhat as a performance and also somewhat as like a competition to like say a smart, great thing. <laughs> sometimes I feel like I hear your brain turning around, you're turning some gears and you're like, mm, no, nope, I could say things, but none of these things are going to be smart and great and are going to let me win. So I'm not going to say them. I wonder if I approach it that way. Now I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's not yeah, like kind a normal of how I approach that, life, though. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know if smart or great things. Just jokes. If there's a joke to be had, I'll take it. And if not, I'll sit back and let, let other stuff happen. <laughs> what other people make, make fools of themselves until you can make a mm-hmm. joke about them. Yeah, pretty much.